I am Brendan Slocum, musician, educator, and author of the upcoming novel, The Violin Conspiracy. I'm here to tell you how music can save your life. Each episode, I talk with someone whose life was also changed by music. Since I'm a classically trained musician, many of my guests might come from that world too. But fair warning, I also rock out to the Beastie Boys and J. Cole and everything in between. So no matter what kind of music you listen to or play, you're in for an interesting, inspiring, and lively conversation. Thanks for joining me. My guest today is musician and educator Ian Hargis. Ian also happens to be my best friend. We've known each other since we were freshmen at UNC Greensboro as music education majors. As we are both now <clears throat> men of a certain age, we have been through a lot together, from weddings to birthdays to jobs, you name it, and everything in between. I had the opportunity to sit down and talk with him about our shared history, our favorite teaching moments, and how our respective races may have impacted our experiences in school. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Mr. Ian Hargis. I am with Ian Hargis, my absolute best friend. We have gone to college together. We've gone on trips together. We've done pretty much everything except uh, we weren't in any classes together, were we, dude? Yeah, we were in classes together. That's the only way I passed theory was because oh, I would copy yeah, your answers yeah, 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 and then yeah, you would yeah. change the answers and not tell me. That's right. That's what you get for not studying your um, progressions. Well, I yeah, would have I been studying, but I was busy partying and having a good time, which I tried to get you to do. This is true. This is true. Now, now you, you are a music major. Yes, you were a music major at University of North Carolina at Greensboro, as was I. And your instrument, uh, why, why am I saying all this stuff, dude, you can you I don't know. I think speak. you're supposed to ask me and then I'm supposed to tell you. But it's How okay. about you just tell me since you know? Okay. Well, so I wasn't a music major at first and then I started playing in ensembles and really, really enjoyed it. And like all you folks that were music majors were like, you know, you should be a music major too. And so I was like, okay. And so then I switched my major. Trumpet was my principal instrument. Yours was violin. So we, we didn't, act, we only played in the same ensemble, I believe one time. But other than that, uh, we did do a couple of gigs together. And those were always very memorable. Aside from, from being a phenomenal trumpet player, what made you decide to want to um, pursue music? Well, uh, I wasn't a phenomenal trumpet player, but I, uh, it, was, it was completely my, my high school band directors. They, they just inspired me to actually finish high school. I wasn't really the most inspired student. I just kind of went and uh, made fun of everybody that tried so hard. <laughs> <laughs> because I thought that was stupid. But I really, really enjoyed being in, in band and being in ensembles and going to like all district and all state bands and just the mm -hmm. relationships that I had. And I just figured that would be a good career path. So I decided to become a band director. Yeah, I, I was kind of the same way. Um, I, I was in band in high school and you were the you drum know, major of your band i, I was a drum major yes of my, my band son is now drum major of his band your, that is fantastic yeah uh, i was the same way um you know band was great it, it, it was a sense of camaraderie and a sense of achievement and you know it, it definitely taught us hard work i think because you know having to not only 
learn the music and memorize it and drills and everything. And that was, yeah, it was fun when I was a student, but as a teacher, yeah, I wasn't a fan of teaching marching band, but that's another story for another day. I know you're very good at it. You're very, very good at it. I had the pleasure of watching you. Well, I always had the, I always had the sense to, uh, you know, that very first camp and the very first band I ever had where the, the kids were actually wanting to march and do stuff. And I thought I could do everything perfectly. And I was micromanaging everything. And you finally just like turned to me and said, dude, if you don't accept the help, because I had all my, my my teacher friends were like coming down, you know, just just for basically no money at all to help me. And I wasn't even wanting to use, take your advice. And I mean, once you told me that, I was like, you know, I had to come down. But I, I did. And it just... uh that's what made it fun was just having other people work with me and stuff. So Right. You did a great job with those kids. I got to give it well, to you. You really you. did. I got you some did. good memories. You know, that's one of those things, I think, because we have that type of relationship, having known each other for so long, it made it easy, you know, because uh, we want to lift each other up and watch each other succeed. And, you know, mm-hmm. I was there to, to help you any way I can, I, any way I could. And, you know, I like to think that I did. So you did. you're welcome. And I'm still waiting on that measly paycheck you promised me, dude. Well, you can just take that out of my cut or whatever I'm making to be your sidekick. Okay, you got it. You got it. Done and done. <laughs> All right, dude. So while we were at UNCG, we had a lot of the same teachers. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see where this one is going. I don't um, know how you're going to do this with no names, dude, but go for it. <laughs> Our experiences were vastly different. Some of them were, were the same, but they were vastly different. Um huh. What, what, what do you, yeah, I do. And, okay. and it, that would be a nice time. Well, you being, for those people at home listening, um, <laughs> my friend Ian Hargis here happens to be a uh, a white male. That's never been proven, but okay. it's, yeah, it has. I, I've okay. got the paperwork. Okay. And I am not a white male. And mm-hmm. we both went to the same school and had some of the same teachers, and, and our experiences were, were definitely different. Can you talk a little bit about your overall experience? Well, I'll just say that for whatever reason, I don't know if they had a meeting about me or or what, but, but most of the, most of the professors at UNCG, I I believe, and this could be wrong. I believe saw something in me that wasn't visible. I mean, what, I mean, cause I really did not do well with first impressions. I mean, I, I did not care what people thought of me. I went out of my way to look like the slackest person in the room. Um, and I just really presented myself as just this slacker, not caring kind of guy, but for whatever reason, they almost all gave me the benefit of the doubt. You know, I did not get the highest grades in my theory or my, um, (laughs) ear training. God help me ear training. I can do that really well, right? now. I really, I mean, so it must've stuck, but you know, history, all that kind of stuff. I just squeaked by and they all passed me because I really think they wanted to get me into student teaching. But I have no idea how you actually viewed your experiences. Is it like like how I just described mine? So I'm anxious to hear this, too. I don't know that we've ever. Uh, well, you know what? I will um, enlighten me. L- let me do that right now. Yeah, okay. dude, it's really interesting. I think that's the first time I'd ever heard you describe your experience that way. I know that there there were times that um, in, in some of the classes that you were you were, I don't want to say struggling, but maybe you were struggling a little bit with some of the theory and or ear training, especially. Well, because I didn't yeah, do it. Well, yeah, that probably had something to do with it. But <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I think overall, a lot of my experience, I mean, there are just teachers that I don't know what it was, but you know, there were only a handful of us uh, non-white people. 
there. There were only a handful yeah. of us. So we just kind of, you know, we, we, we stuck out in a crowd. So some of the professors, I think they just kind of looked at me as, well, I, I don't know what's going on with this guy. I don't know. I don't know that he's capable of doing this. He's here. Not really sure why he's here, but he's here. So let's just, you know, kind of. I wasn't, uh, I, I didn't get a lot of attention. I'll say that. I didn't get a lot of positive attention. Does that make sense? Sure, it does. I, I It's funny how how we see each other's experiences different. I get, maybe that's part of the point of this podcast. Uh, it could have something to do with the fact that you have hung out with, you know, that loser Ian Hargis. They might have thought, <laughs> well, he might have been okay, but that idiot he hangs out with, why does he keep helping him? Oh, you know, so maybe, we're only maybe that, that simple, dude. Card, dude. I don't know. Yeah, if it were that simple, that would have been an easy it. explanation. But yeah, I mean, I mean, in all honesty, I, I, I felt like in certain circumstances, in certain classes, you know, they were just, you know, what can we do to kind of weed this guy out? And it was tough. I had a really, really difficult time. Like in, in a lot of those classes, when I would write papers or do assignments or whatever, it always felt like mine were just, I, I would do the same kinds of work, the same type of, you know, turn the same types of papers in or whatever. But my marks were always lower for some reason. I remember one instance in particular, I mean, I had done a project, we had to do a handbook. And I did this handbook and it was glorious. All the information in was, it was great. Everything had everything you needed. You could have Taking it to print right then. I probably copied some of it, actually. Yeah, I'm sure you did, yeah. Yeah, actually. And um, (laughs) I got a C on that. And another one of my classmates didn't do half of the work, didn't have half of the information, and got an A. I do remember that. Yeah, you remember that? I do. Do you remember how mad I was? Uh, Vividly, yes. (laughs) I do. (laughs) Sorry. That's exactly what you'd have said if I'd have said it. That is true. But that's, I, I felt like things like that, instances like that occurred regularly, you know, and I was always having to go above and beyond and I was always getting mad. Do you remember specifically, dude, you would always say to me, Brendan, you're being paranoid. It's not like that. You're just being a little bit. Do you remember that? I do. And, and I don't think I knew then what I know now. I don't think I had the life experience. I think I was just from Lincolnton where, we, you know, I know there was racism, but I went to school in an integrated school. We all went together and I had uh, just as many black friends as I did white friends. And I know every white person says that, but it, in my case, in high school, it really was true. I mean, it's like I, I had, um, you know, the, the summer after my freshman year, when I tried to move home, my dad kicked me out and I went and lived with my black coworker uh, in the black section of Lincolnton because I didn't have anywhere else to go. She was like, yeah, just come stay here. I mean, I, I don't know. Um, this isn't about me proving that I'm, that I'm one way or the other, but I do remember, I do remember giving you, giving you a hard time about it. And, and, and probably cause I didn't see it through the same right. lens that you do. And I, you know, I apologize for that. No need to apologize, dude. Well, no, no, no. That's not what this is about, but I didn't, I don't think I saw it that way. Because I was looking at it from a, di- I was looking at it like, look how little I did, and I still got credit for it. Mm-hmm. So I probably Where I was, the- I was the exact opposite. I was like, yeah. look how much I did, yeah. and I didn't get jacked for it. And and see, just from another perspective, I always saw you being one of the highly, most highly admired students that we had at the time. Well, obviously, I didn't care what the professors thought, so I wasn't <laughs> going to give them any sway one way or the other. But as far as the students and the fellow students. 
they all just thought you were were awesome. You, you've always been just the most versatile, talented person that I've ever known. You could play any instrument. I don't know. So I didn't really see it that way. And so I'm sure I probably did, you know, maybe to try to make you feel better. So, yeah, we definitely saw that from a different perspective. I can see why now. I mean, I have no doubt that it was that way for you. I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I don't it, know it if was, you know this, you know. but I was pretty self-involved in high, in uh, college. I wasn't all that, uh, you know, into other people's Those feelings. are stories for another podcast, and I'm sure that uh, they'll be coming up soon. I got a question for you, dude. Okay. As a teacher, because you you have taught elementary, middle, and high school. And special needs. That's my And passion. special needs, yeah, yes. which I've always admired you for. Thank you. What, if any, do you think race, do you think that race plays a part in how you teach kids? Well, I'm at a predominantly... Keep it real. Keep it real. I am. I'm at a predominantly um, black school right now and have been for five years. And as you remember, my very first teaching job at Lexington... Since senior high school, um, I was the first white band director in about five to seven years prior, and almost all of my students were black. So, uh, you know, I, I got to experience it from from a different angle. You remember how how when I first got to Lexington, you remember how the whole community came out to watch the band camp. There's like 500 people, and as I the week went do on, remember that. Yeah. Came. yes, it was it was quite the show. You know. I, I don't know. Kids, kids are kids. Like it was never really the kids. Like once, once the smoke cleared and the kids that stuck with me after that first semester, mm-hmm. you know, I think I had 12 kids that stayed. We were on the block schedule at Lexington. I had 12 kids at the semester break. And from there working at the middle school, when I left six years later, there were over a hundred kids in the band. And so the kids were never the problem. The kids got to know me as a, as a person and as a teacher and you know, if they were hung up on the fact that I was white, they never showed it. I mean, and I, I just taught kids. I didn't really, but I did do my best to find out and learn about their culture, things that they that they experienced that I didn't. You know, I, I got to say, dude, you've always been pretty good at that. You've always yeah. been the type of person that you will, you, you're not one to, to pass judgment immediately. I got to give that to you. No, you've always I been mean, that way. There are, there are good people and bad people in, in all all places, but like the time you took me to the barber shop on East Market Street and said, "Can you cut the white dude's hair?" and everybody looked and just laughed, and I was like, "What have I got myself into?" But dude, I went and you sat got down. the best haircut of your life. That's okay, what you got into. That turned out to be the case, but while I was sitting there, you gave me these horrified looks, like they were pulling my hair out. I and was then you told horrified. Me at one point, you look like Mo from the Three Stooges, and I was like, "You Great. did." It was in the transitional stage. Of okay, the but then when then when I got out, you said, "Dude, that's the tightest fade you've ever had." And so I've always, from then on, I've always like right now I go to a like Watown, it's a Hispanic barbershop. I don't understand a lot of what's being said, but they give me the best haircut, <laughs> and I love Maria. She's the best. <laughs> We're like Facebook friends and everything. She like oh. translates her stuff for me. I like Maria. She's awesome. She's yeah. great. She gives a good haircut too. She yeah, could, well, look, she would cut your hair good. if you if you were still. If I if I had any, dude, do, yeah. I have no hair. What are you talking I, about? Well, but you used to. I keep it tight. I keep it tight. I, yours is dude, real tight. How? how <laughs> tell, tell, yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, That's what I heard. Sorry. Personally, as far as I am concerned, uh, I have taught like the private schools that I've taught in. Right. I generally the population is majority white kids, and for me. Being a black man in an elementary school with predominantly white kids, 
I know that it's probably one of the first experiences that the kids will have with a black man. So I, I take that very, very, very seriously. I always make sure that I'm neat and clean and I smell good and I speak properly because I want their first impression to be a good one. And I want them to understand that the perceptions that they may have or that their parents may have are not always true. You know, they see things on TV or they they hear news reports about how someone has, you know, done something or been arrested or stolen something or this and this and this. And the clutch your pocketbook thing. Oh, totally. Say. Yeah, 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 yeah. All the time, you know, and, and there's there's no need for them to be afraid for, you know, someone, someone like me comes in and teaches them. And not only that, but just being able to be knowledgeable of the content. It's like, yeah. This guy can actually play this stuff. He's asking me to do this. He's he can do it. All right. Okay. So I guess I will listen to him. Yeah, that's that I I've I've had that uh issue occur several times, first day of school. If I can if I can take you back to when you taught in DC and you taught me about races that I'd never even heard of, and you and I both made it our business to to learn every stereotype, every oh, hang yeah. up, every slang, every tradition or whatever, so that we can be fluent. And 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 you you taught me so much, and and you would be like, you know, well, th- this is like that, this is like that, and this is like the other. And as far as you dressing nice and talking right, and smelling clean, you would have done that anyway, dude, regardless of whether you were working with white kids or or whatever. So yes, I would, but you know. Clean and neat are two different things. I will, yeah, I'm always. You've never been unclean or unkempt, in my opinion. (laughs) And I taught you about how you got to wear a different, you know, unscented deodorant if you wear a cologne, because otherwise, this is true, dude. Yeah, you know what? That was one of the best lessons I learned from you. Do you know I taught that to my high school students? I do know that. Yeah, you and I have come up with a few good things. That's probably for another podcast, but this one's about music. So. Oh, music, yes. All yes, things yes. Let's, musical. Let's, let's let's get back to some of those musical things. Yes, I suppose we should. Tell me how how did did music change your life? How did it change you? How did it change me? For the better or for the worse? For the better, hopefully. Here's the thing. <laughs> uh, teaching in all the different, you know, high school band, special needs, uh, middle school and high school and elementary school, um, different school settings, it, it just really helped me to, to learn how to just adapt and just read read the room. Mm-hmm. It, it just it, it made me realize that though music is the vehicle, I, I'm not always it's not always about. OK, for instance, you remember how it was being a high school band director and, and getting ready for MPA or getting ready for festival. And it's like all the notes have to be right. All the you know, you bring in other clinicians to tell you what's wrong, what to fix. You just analyze the crap out of everything. It has to be right notes, right rhythms. But not, not only that, you have to have the mute, the nuance and all those types of things. Just the phenomenal connectedness you have with, with, within an ensemble when you make music together, when you whether you're playing it or whether you're standing in front, you know, being the, the conductor. It's just it's, it stops being the point and it actually stops being fun. But then when you go and work with special needs kids, uh, there, there's no right note, wrong note. There's no you're not singing in tune. It's like, are you serious? This kid is up there. He's saying all the wrong words, but he's smiling and he's doing something. He just feels having like a belongs. big time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I had to shift perspectives because it's not about the right notes and the wrong notes. And and now that I'm in elementary school, you know, the need is there for a positive male role model. It doesn't matter what color I am. Yeah, right. just the, the fact that I'm a male role model and a mostly I'll just be honest at my school, black female setting, you know, and these kids, some of these kids, I may be the only guy 
that they, and I'm especially the only guy like me, you know, that's a music teacher and that it talks about feelings and shares, you know, and listen to the words. Right now, the songs that we're doing, the words are more important than the music. It's, it's reggae music because mm-hmm. I listened to reggae music all summer and I was like, this stuff is so good. And so I picked two songs and I'm like teaching them the words and, and, and they're getting it. And it's just, it's just, so music is the vehicle towards actually actual connectedness for me, being able to connect. Dude, you have always been able to connect. I, that's one thing I've always admired about you. You've oh, always man. been able to establish a connection immediately. And that's, that's one thing I've tried to imitate from oh. you. Wow. Well, thank you. That's a really hot praise from you. I, I try. I try. Who's your favorite composer? Uh, Lennon McCartney. God, okay. Can can you go to something classical, dude? I know you were yeah, a I Beatles could. fan. I know um, that. You actually got me into the Beatles, dude. Well, as you should be. You can't be a, a real music educator and not have a true appreciation for the Beatles. Oh, oh, oh. You know, the dude, the redheaded violin guy, the Vivaldi. Oh, Vivaldi, dude. dude. Yeah, I love yeah, that. Remember yeah. that Nigel Kennedy recording of him playing the Four yeah. Seasons? And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And well, I used to listen yes, to it every I, single day. What is your absolute favorite piece of music? It doesn't have to be classical. It could be, you know, pop or whatever. Okay, so the song Let It Be yeah. is like, that's my, that's my theme theme song. Um, that song is the one I was talking about on cassette. You know, I would have a bad day or, or a good day and I would listen to it and, and I'd listen to it again. And it just, it just touched something in me that I, I don't, you know, even to this day when I listen to it, it's just like, it just comforts me. It just gives me a peaceful kind of feeling. There are other pieces of music that do that. You know, I think, you know, that, that you and I both have kind of a, a love for 311. Uh, yeah. And, uh, Boy, those guys are our age and still get and still getting it, still getting it. And know, it's the number of times that we went and saw them, I mean, you've seen them probably four times more than me, but I just remember at least ten times that you and I went and saw them and the experiences that we had. And I remember you telling them about the marching band show that I did <laughs> yeah. on their music. I, <laughs> I had it arranged. We had the Creatures album. I, had, I took the music mostly from there. And you told them, and they just thought that was the coolest they were thing. Like, and I wish yeah, because I, 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 I actually got backstage at a show, and I was like, yeah, my friend is doing a marching band show based on you guys' music, and we love you so much, and you guys are incredible. No, they really are awesome. And nice guys and, and, and insane musicians. I, I love them. Oh, I yeah. listen to them oh, every yeah. day when I'm working out. Blasted. That was, that was fun. good stuff. It was good stuff. Yeah. 311. That's a, tell me, dude, what would you say to anyone who was thinking about pursuing a career in music? What would you say to them? To make a career of music, you need to you need to pick a specialty. Do you want to go into music industry? Do you want to go into production? Do you want to help other people um, with their music? Do you want, I mean, now it's like sound engineering and, and, and all the sampling and all the things, the technical part of it. I mean, there, there's a need for people like that and there's a market out That's there. That's true. Get a job and then play your guitar on the weekends or something. You don't have to like think that you have to support yourself at it. And then it, then it just becomes work. It might not even be, oh my gosh, it might be work then, you yeah. know? <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so I don't know. It's not that I would dis- dissuade anyone. But I would say, you know, <laughs> you got to eat. Yep. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Not everybody's going to be Pearl Jam and just break out and, and, you know, tour the world and make millions of dollars. It just doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. It does. You do have to do a lot. And people don't realize, you know, when they go into it, they're just all idealistic. Yeah, my songs are great and I'm talented, so I'm going to make it. It doesn't always work out that way. But, you know, I, I, I tell people, you know, if that's what you want to do, you 
pursue it 100%. You give it 100%. Then you can say that you did. It can be a lifelong passion. I mean, my wife is a great example. I don't think she was in high school band, chorus, orchestra or anything, but literally I've, I've tested her on this. You can play on your phone. Like I can just scroll through and play different guitarists and she can tell me exactly who it is almost nine times out of 10. She knows like their style mm-hmm. and how they play. And a lot of that just comes from growing up. Her and her father would listen to music together. And that was one of the ways that they connected. You know, she's like, I. she pretty much thinks that anything past 1994 is, is trash. <laughs> in Me because, too, dude. Oh, my God. Oh, I kind of agree. My MP3 I mean, player just, is nothing but like straight 90s. Well, listen, it's time for another never mind. I agree. It's time for another because everything everyone's doing now is someone else's and they're not even doing it that well. They're just pushing record, loop, sample, and they're going, yeah, 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 over it. (laughs) And it's a hit. And I'm like, well, if y'all are buying it, you know, and then, oh, but you got to get tattoos on your face too. Otherwise, you're not credible. You got to make yourself look like Now you're getting it. Now you're sounding like an old man. Well, Okay. (laughs) I'm just saying. I will say this. I will say this. Post Malone can play the guitar. All right. He can play the guitar. Did you see that Nirvana thing he did? He did that Nirvana tribute. They all wore dresses. It was Travis Barker, and they they played Nirvana, and they played it well. I did not, but I will search for it. And I will watch. I had it. no idea that the kid could play. He can play. He's, you know, I don't know why he's wasting his time doing some of the other stuff he does. Like, <laughs> but he can play. So good for Dude, you. Give Post, me your if you're give out me, there. Give me your proudest <laughs> moment, proudest accomplishment as a teacher. As a teacher. Well, let me give you mine while I'm thinking about where you're thinking about it. Yeah, you go ahead. I, uh, I think my proudest moment, or one of my proudest moments, was um, teaching kindergarten, knowing that uh, I was the first one that introduced these kids to these songs that they would be singing and knowing for the rest of their life and teach their own kids. It was one of the best feelings in the world. I taught my um, kindergarten class, the last kindergarten class I taught, I taught them, I've been working on the railroad. I mean, you <laughs> okay. can say what you want. You can't sleep on that song. It actually has roots in classical music. Did you know, and I'm sure you knew this, that in Rossini's Poet and Peasant Overture, it's the exact same tune as I've been working on the railroad, the cello solo in the beginning. Get out it of here. It is, dude. You're a liar. It is. You got to go listen to it as soon as we're done. I know you are. Just listen to the cello uh, solo probably in the beginning. Probably not, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. And just knowing that they, they leave the classroom singing that song and, and they the little routine that we made up going along with it. Just knowing that they they have that experience, and I was the one that gave it to them. I tell you that that's one of the best feelings in the world. The year at uh at my high school band, we went in grade six. You know that was such a big deal, and we got straight superiors. You know, which means we got the highest you know scores for musicality and technique and all this kind of stuff. And I just remember you know playing the last note, and I did one of those like chop cutoffs where I just like slammed like and they just stopped. I thought that was cool, you know. <laughs> But the funniest part, the funniest part was those kids knew that tune so well. We started Incantation and mm-hmm. Dance. And you know how it kind of dances around in four and three at the, at the slow part at the beginning? Mm-hmm. I started that thing and I was conducting it completely wrong. I was like conducting in three when it was supposed to be four and four. I did that for about eight measures. And do you know those girls on the front row in the flute section just played it exactly the way it was supposed to go and did not pay any attention to what I was doing at all? <laughs> Because they knew it so well, and they also knew that I was nervous, and so they just they just they just did it. And then I got back on track, and we finished it. But it was just 
I think another time with another band, when I was at Lexington, we, we were in contest, and I was conducted so hard that I knocked the music off the stand. And the same thing happened. The kids just kept playing like nothing happened. I like knocked. So what off you're really saying is that. that you're a very clumsy conductor. Give me just give me give me one statement that um, sums up music in your life. It's all music. It's all about music. You you wanna you wanna make you wanna speak life and light, and you don't wanna believe darkness. And I mean, that's what I'm trying to teach the kids now. It's like, you have a choice. You can either use words or music, you know, cause we're using songs to, to lift people up and breathe life into people, or you can concentrate on the negative and cause there's plenty of that around too. And there's plenty of music that, that focuses on negative True. and there's whole genres of music that, you know, are very angry and very loud and very, and don't get me wrong. Angry music has its place. We love the 311. You know, sometimes that's, that's what drives us, you know, is that, or the system of a down and you know stuff like that, Rage Against the Machine. But that's a different kind of angry, you know. That's like righteous indignation, like I'm gonna get, you know. But the, there's plenty of music out there that focuses on the ways that we're different, and I think music needs to be something that helps us to to know what we all have in common, and that that teaches us that we can all listen to a piece of music and and enjoy it for different reasons. We can all, you know, find something good. In most any music, it's just, you know, it doesn't mean you have to, it has to be your favorite, but music is something that is for everyone. I mean, even, even people that are deaf can relate to music because they can see the sound, sound language when you do it with, you've seen the the funny interpreters on YouTube that are at the, you know, hip hop concerts and they're doing that. Like, even if you couldn't hear it, you can feel the beat. You can see this crazy lady up there doing the sides. You're like, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, with you. Buddy. I'm with you, dude. I'm absolutely with you. It needs to be something that unites us and not something that divides us because there's too much out there right now that divides us. And there's too much out there that focuses on how we're different. And music does not need to be that. I'm right there with you. And and people people need to understand that uh, music truly, truly can save your life. I know you, as well as I do, have those kids that the only reason they came to school was for our classes for our music classes to be able to play, to be able to experience, to be with other people. You know, those stories are a dime a dozen and we've all got them. And music actually really is a lifesaver. You know, I've, I've got kids that have told me, you know, I was on the verge of just doing some crazy stuff, you know, hurting myself and, until, you know, you came into the picture and your class was the only reason I wanted to go to school. It's the only reason I got up because I looked forward to it. And and it's funny because you never know who that kid's going to be. You can look and you can be like, oh, that's a popular kid. That's this, that. Or you can be like, well, that kid's just kind of middle of the road, second trumpet section, not not that outstanding anywhere, one way or the other. And you can end up having like such a special relationship with a kid and just like a kid that, that you just hear, you keep hearing from over the years, you know, they contact you. They're like, you know, thank you for, for not giving up on me. I can't tell you how many messages I've gotten with kids that I thought, man, they just really could not stand me. They really gave me a hard time. And they'd be like, you know, I'm sorry, you know, that I was such a, a jerk to you. I, I know that you were doing the best you could. And I was just going through some things, but now I really see, you know, what you were talking yeah. about. Some of the things that you try to teach me, because I mean, music is the vehicle, but when you're a teacher, you know, you, you're teaching it all. Yeah, you know, I mean, true. my freshman brass class was, yeah, I wanted to teach them how to be better brass players, but most of them were ninth grade boys. I had to teach them how to not be idiots. Yeah, I mean, that yeah. was my, that was on the syllabus or should have been. <laughs> But yeah, they ended up being pretty good trumpet, trombone, you know, brass players. Um, but it was the character development. I do the same thing, dude. Do you know that I actually would teach I, one of my tests? I would always give a test. They would have to bring a tie 
to school. Bring a tie. Your test is we're going to learn how to tie a tie, and your your test is tying the tie. You're going to tie a Windsor, and if you can do it, you pass. If you can't, you fail. And I'm going to show you how to do it, and you can ask me as many times right. as you need for me to show it to you, and I will. And it, parents just got the biggest kick out of that. They were like, I never knew a music class could do this much. I never knew you guys sure. did stuff like this. Well, well, I just get up behind them and tie it for them a lot of times. Yeah, but you but. teach a man to do it himself. You never have to do it again. So, Ian, I would like to thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story on this podcast today. Well, you're most welcome. It, it was it was my honor to do so. I'm really proud of uh, of the book and everything that you've been doing. I'm really glad I got the opportunity to be here today. Oh, thanks, buddy. I love you. How Music Can Save Your Life is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, hosted by me, Brendan Slocum, produced by Hannah Ray Leach, and mixed by Eric Coltnow. Special thanks to Jeff Kleinman and everyone at Anchor Books for their help with this podcast. If you'd like to learn a little bit more about me and my novel, The Violin Conspiracy, check out my website, brendanslocum.com. I'll see you next time. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Oh.